Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to On the Bench. What a weekend this was for Florida State. I am Brendan Sinone. Joined by Zach Blostein today, giving Chris Need a morning off after he was on the bench for an ungodly amount of time yesterday. Going to let him recover a little bit. So Zach and myself here, Zach is wearing his Miami green colors, true to form. I guess uh, I guess our secret fan was correct. Zach, you are a Miami fan. Yeah, I uh, I got that score prediction pretty close. <laughs> you did get it pretty close. Congrats. I knew I knew this game was going to be closer than more people expect, or than most people expected, and. Uh, I'm not a, a secret Miami fan, as as many might have thought going into the weekend. But you are a fan of Miami losing to Florida State. I think you're also a fan of UF giving up 700 yards of offense, which is something. And then also probably a fan of Jimbo Fisher getting Christmas treed in uh, mid-November. So could there have been a more. We call that the trifecta in the Sonoma yeah. household. I was saying there could be could there be a more perfect weekend to be a Florida State fan. Mm. Um, maybe if you like flipped Jeremiah Smith on the weekend or something like that, that would have been pretty cool. But you know, we don't want to get greedy here. Florida State is ten and zero, and they just beat rival Miami, and uh, everything is still in front of you, Zach. So that, I think that's the starting point for this episode: is FSU beats Miami twenty-seven to twenty, a little closer, I think, than than most fans would have liked, uh, but also a score to me, dude, that like. Like Miami played hard. Miami played well. It was a fun game. A score that doesn't really indicate like how much FSU really controlled that that second half. Fair. Yeah, I mean, 
it's like, you know, I think Miami probably lucked out on that Jacoby George long touchdown. It was a good throw. No one can ever explain to me how that ball got to that receiver. Memphis, you had Fentrell Cypress and Kevin Knowles, who I don't know what he does in that play. The I'll angle Kevin Knowles takes. Yeah, I will never, I will never know what that was, but it, it certainly was not a good football play. Well, that's probably a discussion uh, to have maybe later in the podcast, uh, probably for for another time. Is uh, some of, some of the breakdowns you had there with the secondary at safety with with tackling angles and and whatnot. But hey, I don't want to harp on negative because you're ten and zero. Florida State won. It, it beat its rival. It had a just like for context. Gonna get nerdy here early on. It, it's interesting to see the fan base reaction. I think most people like leaving the stadium. Like I got to tailgate with the knees afterwards and like just seeing like that family like chill and relaxed and happy. And like even people leaving the stadium, like I think most people were really happy that you beat Miami, right? It's like a feel good. Like it just, it matters for the next year. You get those bragging rights and, and Miami can try to take it away to say they were close or they held Keon Coleman to 24 yards. You are getting into the freaking weeds. <laughs> if you're if you're a opposing fan base and you're trying to to flex over, oh yeah, your star wide receiver who's clearly hurt, uh, only had one touchdown against this cool. Good good talking points, guys. He crushed it. Florida State should feel really good about this. And it would have been so cool if the game was more lopsided, more lopsided. It's probably like the score should have like than what the box score it indicates. And that's what I'm gonna get into here, Zach. Like game on paper had this at the worst point for FSU when they were down early in the second half after they tried the onside kick takes a bad bounce for you a lot of bad bounces and breaks for FSU in the game uh, you don't recover it Miami gets three points I think your lowest win probability at that point was 64 percent you were never expected to lose the game based on the way it was it was going uh, for the final about 35 40 percent of the game you had a 90 percent win probability or more like even as it got cut to seven points. Like, so basically FSU controlled this game and especially in the second half. Uh, let's get into it, Zach. The defense, that performance, uh, not perfect in the first half, but what it did in the second half, three, three and outs in a row, three or four out of five drives in the second half, three and outs and, until the, the fluky touchdown. Like it was, you're there in the stands. Like how much fun was it to watch the defense swarm, to play that level of physicality and that level of discipline? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing was the were those safety blitzes that, that Adam Fuller was drawing up for Akeem Dent and Shaheen Brown and even Kevin Knowles. Um, um, it was working. They were getting into the backfield and disrupting kind of that, that RPO stuff that Miami was running um, so successfully in the first half, obviously handing off to their running back almost every time. But, yeah, I mean, at Miami's running game, that was so dominant in the first half at creating, you know, decently big chunk runs was nowhere to be found in the second half for, for most of that, that, you know, both of those quarters. Um, they had, I think, that one run on the uh, onside kick um, that set them up in field goal range. But besides that, that yeah, besides that, really nothing, um, which was super impressive to see how, you know, st- stark of a difference Miami's run offense versus FSU's run defense looked in both both halves because yeah, first half forced, like you forced a young quarterback to beat you this yes way. which we'll get into but I, why is that not the game plan going in I don't know probably be pro- probably because they played for Tyler Van Dyke and they were just going to drop an, 
zone coverage and let him throw interceptions. Uh, it honestly, that's a little tongue in cheek, like, but I think that was part of it. But it wasn't like you knew that you did. Like it wasn't like you didn't know that Emery was was starting until he ran out there on the field. That was the report. Not, I know, but you're not. Oh, I don't know how often you're going to scrap what you did during the entire week. I don't, like I don't think Miami's game they plan did it in the second half. What are we talking? About? No, no, no. I will push back on that because I don't think what FSU. I mean, you make alterations and adjustments during halftime and throughout the course of a game. Part of what they do, dude, is very strategic. It's done intentionally. Is you don't show, you don't tip your hand in the first half. They don't blitz a ton in the first half, and and blitz. There's other things going on that like far beyond like my football like understanding and in, in terms of coverage and and things that you're trying to show. They don't. All right, they blitz seven percent of the time in the first half. They blitzed fifty percent of all dropbacks in the second half. So that jump to me shows that you are trying to set something up. Talk about offenses setting things up defensively. You don't show anything. You don't show what your blitz packages are going to look like. You don't show what you're forcing. Like run fit stuff's really is going to look like a ton. And then when you need it in the second half, you go to it and it's dominant. And Miami doesn't have, and FSU's done this before too. Uh, saw it against Clemson's a perfect example. The team doesn't have like a full 20 minutes to adjust to it. You're doing it all like series to series. So like I think it's strategic. It's a calculated gamble. You give up a little early on to get a lot later. They've done it multiple times this season. I mean, that's it, it's playing to something bigger than just like a quarter or a half of football, I think, to win a game. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll push back on that, I guess. I, I don't see the need for the stark difference. Like, I can see what you're saying and that they're setting it up to where Miami is going to expect that they're just going to run the same thing in the second half um, defensively and they'll be able to continue their game plan. But like, I don't even know if it's the same thing. Like they, they think they're not the same. They just don't know what it's going to like. You don't know what the pressure points are going to well, be. It's like, yeah, that's what they're that's what they're used to based on what they're running in the first half, and they're not expecting you to pressure forty three percent more in the second half than than you are in the first half. But <laughs> pretty to me, they just there doesn't need to be that big of a difference. But like, if you know. And on your first series, that Tyler Van Dyke is not the quarterback, and it's Emory Williams, a true freshman, who very clearly can't get the ball downfield. They threw, like, two deep shots the entire game. One was way off, and the other was the fluke play. Like, mm -hmm. to, to me, it just it I mean, didn't make a ton of sense. Um, and I understand what you're saying about setting things up, but, like, it just it felt too passive of a game plan knowing that Miami's strength of their offense was going to be their offensive line and their big running backs being able to move the ball downfield that way. It, it just, it felt too passive. It, we've had this discussion multiple times this season, and I understand the defense comes to play in the second half because the adjustments, because they're well-rested, but they did the same thing by subbing Gilbert Edmond and, and Byron Turner in the game at the same time, which I will never understand. I'll never get it. No one can explain to me that both of them need to be on the field at the same time. I get that there are different, like you, you can't, there are different personnel usage for like Patrick Payton versus Jared verse. They're not the same player. So like, I understand that you can't like flip flop them that, that easily, but you're, you're telling me you can't have Gilbert Edmond and, and either one of Pat Payton or Jared verse in the game at the same time. It feels like they kind of just let things those two guys were were near non-impactful in my opinion in this yeah, game. 
Yeah, they, they have some depth play. issues at defense. Dude, they allowed, they allowed 335 yards of offense, and Miami had one good drive. It was on the drive that you're talking about where you had your backup defensive ends in, you had Conrad Hussey, and they got some just, fun it, stuff going it on. It feels like you're almost giving the opposing offense like momentum in that point in the game. It this is like I dude, the defense is a good unit. It's a really good unit. Like yeah, I top, understand top that. internationally in ESPN's yes. efficiency. I totally understand that. But you have guys that can play more snaps in big games. I understand if you want to do the whole Gilbert Edmund, Byron Turner thing against Syracuse or against Pitt or against some other, you know, not good team, but it's Miami. It's your rival. Why can't we like, I, I don't get that personally. And I understand it's all about getting those guys rest to be able to play, play their best in the fourth quarter. But I don't get why you have to rotate them both out because it's such a stark difference in play between those the first the starting unit and the backup i think it's that was my biggest that was my biggest i think it's because it works the the defenses gets better like game over game the defense has gotten game in game quarter over quarter throughout each game the defense gets better and it's a it's a formula that works for you i i agree but it it feels like in that moment you give the opposing offense momentum and they're able to, like, Miami's able to tie the game because of that. I, I okay. I don't want to get bogged down because that it's that's minutia that we're getting into. Uh, we're spending I a lot of time talking about. I think I think it is because I think this is a common occurrence that we're seeing in most games, and I would expect it to not happen in a big game like Miami, but it did, and it worries me because they're going to have more big games coming up with Florida and whoever they play in the ACC championship game, and I. I just against a really good offense. Like I don't know if that's the formula that's going to work. Doc but White's agreeing with you right now. So what? I said Doc White's agreeing with you right now. So you're going to have that going for you. Yeah, I'm sure people are in the same boat, and I'm sure like I I can also acknowledge that the game plan does work from the sense that they get better quarter over quarter in the second half. They're usually insanely dominant on defense. I mean, so, so the adjustments, so you just make sure I'm getting it correctly and then we'll move on. You want either because Byron Turner and, and Gilbert Edmund played 17 snaps each. Do you want fewer snaps from them and more from your starters? Or you just want to be split and have like a Gilbert and Patrick. And a Jared Verge or yes, exactly. Okay. All right. I'm, Sure, for like one series or so. Yeah, I, I think the counterpoint is like having your best forcing group out there at the same time, like gives you the best chance of ending drives. And if you start mixing and matching, like, yeah, I just, I'm looking at the whole picture and the process of it. And I think it makes sense. Like, I, I yeah, like if you I, had, was, I, I, I can see what you're saying. And, and that was my main personnel gripe. And then the other, I think most people are going to talk about is Kevin Knowles. Yeah, Ke- Kevin Knowles struggled. His missed tackle rate was 100% per PFF. And I think they only like count one on one or space tackles. He got in there on some, but like the, the angles and the opportunities he had to bring players down in open space. And like, I don't think Kevin's playing at 100%. Like, it's and not. that's, that's been two years of it now. And that sucks. And that's, I think it, it's a hat tip to him being tough and being willing. But also, like, yeah, it was, it nearly cost you and against a better offense against ones with, with more than one or two playmakers, you know, outside. And it, it can, it can, it can get you at some point. This Why do you think they play him so much? I think because they trust him to generally be in the right spot. And he, you know, sans this 
the Boston College game early in the year when he was still new to the position. And then obviously what happened in the fourth quarter against Miami, like he's normally in the right spot and they trust him. They know he's tough and he communicates well. Like there are things that are part of the bigger picture and we just see him missing tackles in open space. But like those are starting to happen, you know, against a higher caliber opponent against Miami, like that happens. I think that does cause you to reevaluate some, some of that. And like, yeah, we all see, we all see what Conrad Hussey is going to be. Right. Like I, and I, I, you don't need to be a football savant to be like, yeah, that dude makes plays and he's really good. We all see it. And it's reflected in the metrics and like, there's clearly a ton there. And I know that people want to see Conrad Hussey. I, I hope you see a ton of him this week against North Alabama. I pushed through some of the discomfort of, of him have, having some like coverage lapses, but Zach, like last week against Pitt, the big, Almost touchdown that Fentrell Cypress makes the hustle plan. Like, that's Conrad Hussey. Yeah. That's, that's and that's just him doing just trying to do too much and taking the wrong coverage assignment and it, it nearly gotcha. And so it's like, what's worse? Kevin Knowles missing a tackle in space or just completely obliterating coverage against a really vanilla offense? What they have to balance it. They, they do and they I mean Connor Hussey's played 14 snaps. Like he played multiple series. Yeah. No, it's not like they're not playing him, but it, at some point you just gotta, in my opinion, um, there's gotta be some kind of breakthrough with him to where you can trust him to not have that kind of coverage lapse. Yeah. That, that is un- ultimately coaching to get someone in in position to do that. But like, you're also talking about a true freshman that wasn't here in the spring. That's learning on the fly. I know he's been like this. We're in week 10 now. Like I, I get it, but a position that requires a ton of communication and a ton of coordination to be in the right spot. Like it, that is, it's not necessarily easy. Like it's not just him out on an Island and man-to-man coverage as a cornerback. Like he is, he is the last line of defense and in a position that requires premium communication. Absolutely. And so I think that's why, I don't know if it's a good answer. Like, I don't know if it, I think it comes down to like, Zach, we safety was a third safety was the one position you probably didn't like rectify in the transfer portal that you were trying to. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can go on and on about that, but I do think that's something they're going to have to weigh. Maybe not this week, just because, you know, obviously the caliber of, of opponents not there, but against Florida, um, that's something that the FSC staff's really going to have to figure out. Um, can you trust Conrad Hussey to hold up in coverage or do you ride with Kevin Knowles, who, you know, is not going to consistently bring down players in open space. So, yeah, I mean, that's going to be, I think, important to monitor and practice and stuff for the next two weeks. You know who was extraordinary in bringing players down in open space? Who? Kalen Deloach. He was awesome. Yeah. Ten, ten tackles, two sacks. Uh, he is the leading uh, pass rusher among all linebackers nationally when it comes to pass rush grade for PFF. He is up to seven this season. I think that's maybe the second most in FSU history for a linebacker. Uh, he doesn't blitz a ton, man, but when he does, something good usually happens. He was – dude, how, how cool. Like, you covered the entirety of Kalen Deloach's career. You covered his recruitment. He was recruited by a different coaching staff. He was benched by this one after starting the season in 2020. Uh, I think had to look long and hard. Like, was this going to be a good fit for him? Is this something he wanted to do? And he stuck through it. And then, like, in that game, he – he plays like an all-conference linebacker. He plays like someone who's deserved to get his name called out during the NFL draft. Like, 
explain please like how cool was it yeah i mean i remember i think it was me and newberg or some he was on that official visit in that final weekend of of whatever cycle 2019 i think he signed um with fsu or 2018 one of those two and uh yeah he was he was considering fsu michigan and someone else and i think he had a lot of people telling him you know go to michigan but he decided to ride with florida state and just you know look how far he's come and he goes through the entire really tiger tenure and all the the craziness that came with that like you said gets benched in the norvell era early on and now he's looking like a potential candidate for acc defensive player of the year like he's had that good of a year and all the linebackers performed well right like yeah. you felt dj lundy's presence i thought tatum bethune played his ass off like he he was so energetic and it gave you a ton of snaps i think it was over 50 like that was that was huge in this game and then just the forcing unit too like what what josh farmer gave you with like a club on his hand Fabian Lovett had streaks of being dominant. Jared Verse doesn't record a sack, but five quarterback pressures. Probably drew a hold, a hold in the red zone that should have been called and um, been a safety early on if we want to get into that. But, like, yeah. Patrick Payton's discipline on one of the screens uh, in the second half was exquisite. What Braden Fisk does in terms of his screen recognition, like, it was – it was an inspiring effort and performance from the defense. Like when you're able to blend that level of chaos with control, like you get these dominant stretches and, and like the defense plays like that against a true freshman, Emory Williams. Um, and hopefully he's doing all right. Apparently he was able to, to travel and return home with yeah. the team. Um, I saw he had a, like a compound fracture in his arm. So he's going to be out for the season, but he's supposed to be back in the spring. So that looks good for his, uh, his return to action. He played his heart out, man. He was yeah. That was that was tough to see him get hurt. Like, and you knew right away. You see the legs start kicking up, and his parents yeah. are in the stands. He's from the Panhandle. Like yeah, that 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 sucked. And he did it like making a uh, just in, an incredible in, effort play. Um, his body on the line for the team. It was it was impressive. And uh, how that was a first down. I'm not entirely sure, but there was a lot of weird reviews in that game. And I think both fan bases feel like they got slided at some point. So I guess yeah. it's a wash. I don't know. Um, so then anyways, game ends with Tyler Van Dyke entering, uh, <laughs> entering the field of play and completes his first couple passes. Good, good throws. Yeah. You need to go and drive the field to tie it up. Um, would have been really interesting to see if they did end up scoring. What would have happened, Zach, if they would have gone for two, I think you, you would have had to, if you're Miami. But it didn't happen because Tyler Van Dyke did what he's really done this season, which is throw an interception. It was on fourth down. But who gets it? Jarian Jones. Legitimately rewinding two years, his first season at Florida State going through injuries, like one of the lowest graded cornerbacks in the country, struggled mightily even early on uh, last season. And he like he flipped the script. He changed his outlook. And he's now one of the better cornerbacks in the country. And he gets that moment. like. Another just really cool, poetic, you know, tying of the knot, I guess, of like yeah, how this how this team has been developed and like putting it into like a, a tidy package of like culture and uh, progress, development, all those things that Mike Norvell loves to talk about. Like it, it shows up in a big moment. Yeah, absolutely. He's his you know climb to being a really reliable cornerback, and not even just reliable, but dominant. Corner has been 
awesome to watch. I mean, I can remember after spring ball last year, us hyping him up and being like, hey, guys, he's finally yeah. turned the corner. And people were like, no way. Like, if he sees the field, we're done. And by the end of last season, I mean, he's, he's you know, shutting down opposing receivers. And this year, um, he's he's been awesome. I mean, Florida State's secondary in general has been pretty dominant in most games. And you know, obviously, they give up some big plays uh, against Miami. Um, but a lot of that yardage is off that 185-yard fluke play. Yeah. And I mean, Jerrion wasn't on that guy anyway, but, but yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, he, you could see him hustling as soon as he realized like it was too late, but he was yeah. in there hustling. No, but he's, he's the exact like formula for, for, you know, the Mike Norvell um, just plan of, of getting these guys back on track because he's a guy that obviously transferred in from Mississippi state. Wasn't some, you know, super highly touted transfer, but a guy that, that multiple schools wanted. I know Ole Miss at one point thought they were getting him. Comes to Florida State. I mean, not, things do not start well. And then, I mean, look where we're at now. I mean, he, he looks like a guy that could could get drafted. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he has, he has a chance to. He's shown it at multiple positions. And, like, just another feather in the cap of the coaching staff in terms of, like, sticking with someone and putting him in a good position to succeed and developing them, like, Transfer freshman, fittingly a, a narrative that started uh, with Miami's staff pushing agenda. I think it's like it just it, this is a reflection of like what the program's done and what it's doing in, in route to being ten and zero top five team in the country. Uh, be remiss if I didn't mention like Bernardo Green's effort. I know he gave a touchdown, but like him and run support, his energy. Yes, that that's what you want. Another guy who who again uh, didn't choose this coaching staff. Uh, had his share of issues and we can FSU's going into senior day this weekend. And there are so many cool stories uh, about the guys who stayed and have been rewarded for the effort and for the patience. And um, yes. So uh, as we talk about, we're in transition here, Zach, talk about the offense for a little bit. We have a ton to get to like recruiting, yeah. do a little bit of buyer Sinone. And those 24 seven subscribers came strong with like a hundred buyer Sinones. We won't be able to fit into this episode. We'll get like a handful and I think we do like a buyer Sonone later in the week, like a full buyer Sonone sponsored by the Turner Group. Yeah, um, we'll we'll get into that in a little bit. Sponsoring the rest of our game recap is going to be Chattanooga whiskey. I'm swirling a beautiful bottle of their rye. It's almost done. I'm getting pretty low on it, uh, but their rye, their bourbon, their casting bourbon is kind of their like your entry level set where you can go ahead and find almost all of those you know those three anywhere in the southeast if you go into a liquor store. Look for Chattanooga whiskey. It's a really cool bottle, uh, very unique, and they're, they're actual the juice inside of it, supremely unique as well. They do an amazing job with their distilling process and uh, hand-selecting different malts and, and finding different ways to roast them, and they're freakishly like transparent in what they put on their bottle and the amount of information on there. So like, you know what you're getting. You know how they go ahead and like the fermentation process, the cooperage process, filtration, like everything. If you're a bourbon nerd like myself, like you get to know all of it. And it's just a, a example of the fine craftsmanship, like stuff that goes into Chattanooga whiskey. So thrilled to have them as our sponsor. It is a legitimately excellent product. If you're into bourbon and rice and, and even if you're new getting into it, it's like an awesome, uh, awesome way to kind of get started too. They, they won't steer you wrong. So Chattanooga whiskey offense, Zach, um, some moments of being really good, but ultimately like, Looking at the production, 
Well, let's see. You only have 322 yards of offense, 5.2 yards per play. Run game, you know, you get Trey Benson breaks off his 38-yard touchdown on the counter. He also had a, a growing man run early in the game to give you a lead. But uh, 57 yards of offense, now minus 30 because of, of Jordan Travis, or excuse me, of rushing yards. Um, so you only have 57, and Jordan Travis got, got sacked a handful of times and uh, was not super effective in that area. Uh, passing game, you know, you have some really good moments. Jordan Travis completes 19 of 31 passes for 265 yards, a touchdown, no interceptions, so he took care of the ball. But I think you have four or five drops. I think PFF gives you four. I would contend it's probably closer to five because they didn't count one of the Keon Coleman ones that he wasn't able to, to bring in early on in the game. Keon Coleman, clearly not 100%. Johnny Wilson working through stuff as well. Jaheim Bell, I think, only got like 20-something snaps. He's not 100%. So, like, Dustin Hill gets one snap. He's not 100%. We said, so you're still – you had got these guys back, Zach, but, like, and then what the offensive line is going through, see Marie, Marie Smith, like, I don't know if you noticed it, like, legitimately crawling, like, on the field a few times. Like, his back was bothering him so much. Uh, Darius Washington limps off the field and has to come back in for, like, a, a few plays later. Bless Harris only gets two snaps, given, you know, that, that Darius Washington gets dinged up. It's just, it is not a super healthy offense right now, but you you had all your pieces available for the most part, and you did enough. I think that's that's the starting point in this conversation. So you did enough to, it was a race to 20, you got 27. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty clear that they were banged up. Uh, Keon especially um, just didn't look as explosive as usual. Still had a pretty solid game and he could have had a better game, you know, if some other things went his way, but yeah, man, I mean, like the, like the holding, like getting a defensive holding call when he broke out of a, a route and it probably would have been a touchdown if not for a hold. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, there was a ton um, that went on in that game that, that could have impacted things. The offense just overall, um, I think we, we all pretty much understood that it was gonna be tough to run the ball um, behind this offensive line and, and Miami's defense is pretty elite at stopping the run. Yeah. They, they allocate a lot of bodies to stopping the run. Absolutely. And, and FSU, you know, obviously in a, in a normal setting would, would just, you know, kind of take the lumps in the running game and just trust their passing game to take over. Didn't really take over. Um, they honestly, like, a huge reason why they won this game, man, is Alex Mastromano and Keon Coleman on punt returns. Special uh, teams was awesome. Yes. Like, Mastromano flipped the field nearly every single time. 49 yards per punt. I think four yeah. went over 50 yards and five were inside the 20. Um, yeah. It was uh, beyond impressive from him. And then that Keon punt return was just massive. Um, to say. Even that you can tell like he's not 100% like running yeah. on, like when he tries to open it up, like he's giving you his guts on that, which is like commendable. Um, yeah. That, that play in general was awesome. He breaks the U on his knee in front of the punter after after the punt return, which is pretty I, fun. I did enjoy. He looked over his shoulder, saw someone was in pursuit. He'd taken inventory of the punter in front of him, knew he couldn't cut or anything like that. Like, he knew the play was over. And it was just kind of like one of those moments, like, in a movie. It's like, oh, I might as well take everyone else down with me and just trucks the punter. Like, he's like, if I'm going down, we're like, we're all, we're all going down. Yeah, so that was pretty funny. And then for him to get rewarded with the score um, on the – on Damari Brown or whatever, who, who pointed out as yeah, the Miami chance we're going to, like, yes, yes, yes. yeah. Um, 
you got the, the face mask and the PI and the holding. It was not a push off either because Keon had his hands on him, but did not push off. Um, so just it's not what Twitter I, told me. Yeah, he he worked through all that to uh, to come down with that huge score for FSU to go up two scores, and then I mean everything in that second half defensively was dominant. Besides that that one play, uh, if that one play doesn't happen. I think we're looking at this game very differently. Um, you know, it, it's you know, Miami put up a good effort in the first half, and not met, not much happened in the second half uh, in their favor. Besides, you know, some good defensive stands. Well, it's a seven point, yeah, it's a seven-point game because of that play, and, and it's and I think the perception of this game is looked at way differently uh, because of that single play. I think, yes, yeah, and and that is like Mike Norvell talks about you know a game like this one or every game is going to come down to like five or six plays, and you never know like what that's going to do to impact the rest of a game. And what I love so much about that punt return, beyond Keon giving you like everything he had on it was the effort from like the surrounding cast. And it was this like collection of like Rodney Hill didn't play a lot. Like I'm pretty sure he's on the field, like blocking far downfield Jackson West, who's gone through it with injuries the last two years, had a, had a missed block for Keon Coleman uh, on the red zone. I think two series before yeah, one where you only get three points hard. instead of seven, like FSU did not maximize maximize points uh, very well throughout the game. But like he Jackson West is giving you all out effort down the field to help Keon Coleman have more room. The punt on the punt block, like or the punt return, like the block that Blake Nicholson has in space, totally allows Keon Coleman to like get freed up. Uh, C.J. Campbell, Vandravius Jacobs, like guys with varying roles at different stages in their career with like different backgrounds. You got blue chip recruits, you got walk-ons, and it's all like this collective like accumulation of of effort and coaching and again like that culture to me is like so. Yes, like you're fortunate that you had that play, but Keon Coleman busting off a big punt return is something that he's done this year. And players playing really hard is something like it wasn't fluky. You know, it happened because Keon made a play and people were in position to help him. Um, And you needed it. You need it. You need it because it's a seven point game, obviously. And back to the offense, like it just wasn't. I think you were restricted with what you had at your disposal in terms of explosiveness. Trey Benson had a man's game the way he ran. I, I was really impressed with him, uh, but Miami made it really difficult. And even then, Trey like Trey could have scored on the the pitch play that you had set up well, and he stepped out of bounds and like he didn't have to. It uh, wasn't wasn't forced out or anything. He stepped out himself. I forget. Did they score a touchdown on the drive? Or did they have to settle for three? I do not remember. I think they score. I think they ended up scoring on that drive, so it's fine. But like Bud talked about this like on the null cast. The other good point was like the first three drives, you move the ball really well. And you had to punt it and you play the, the field position game that worked out for you there at midfield because of the way you're, you're getting your special teams came up for you. And you're able to get the ball back at midfield again, almost in the exact same place from where you punted it, which is just with a new set of downs and you score. Uh, then you only get three points on the next drive, but you know, uh, another hat tip to special teams like Ryan Fitzgerald is having himself an incredible season. Yeah. I'm glad he missed one because we can talk about it now. But like, yes, he's he's doing phenomenally. Um, but yeah, just offense throws to get in the rhythm. You hit some explosives, but not nearly as many as you're like accustomed to against Miami secondary that you know had limitations as well. Like Daryl Porter didn't play. Their safeties like Cam Kitchen got taken out of the game multiple times. He clearly wasn't 100. percent So both 
sides of the, you know, of the coin there, like dinged up. But like, I don't know. I just, I, I'm not fretting about the offense. And I know that's going to be a, a, a anxiety point for people because it's been two weeks in a row where it hasn't looked great. You need to find a way to beat Florida. You need a way to be somewhat healthy in the conference championship game. If you can somehow get through, you know, the next three weeks here and do what you're supposed to do, be favored in all those contests. Like if you go ahead and do that, uh, that month off will be, will be huge for the offense. Um, yeah. Uh, that's what I got on it. Like I just, I, I didn't find a whole lot to analyze because I just, I, I felt like you were kind of restricted and you could have maximized more and, and that's frustrating, but like, this wasn't going to be a 40 point performance. We didn't have either of those in our score sack. Like I think you and I were the two lower ones uh, on the beat based on the no gift stuff that he puts out there. And I, th- I think the game pretty much went the way we thought it would too, yeah. other than the, the fluky touchdown reception Miami had. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was going to be a two score game, but you know, nothing more than that. And we probably should have been a two score game uh, aside from that play. So yeah, man, I mean, I don't really have any, like major gripes with the offense. Like it, obviously, if you watch the game, you understand that it was not efficient. Um, they were not moving the ball down the field effectively throughout the entire contest. But you know, at moments they did, and and that's what mattered. And, and getting Trey loose on that one counter was was absolutely massive to go up to twenty points. Um, in that I think it was the third quarter. It was just, yeah, man. I mean, hopefully. To get more healthy um, coming out of you know North Alabama and you know before they head to the swamp, and then obviously the following week for the ACC championship game. How would you treat the North Alabama game if you're Florida State from a the balance of playing players versus resting guys who are pretty dinged up right now? Honestly, man, I if it were me, I would rest like pretty much like North. It's not like North Alabama is like a, like a, even a good. FC. They're, they're three and seven right now. Yeah, they're not good. So, um, I, if it were me, I would rest Keon, Johnny. Would you start Tate Rodemaker? Like, like I'm trying to figure out the de- the degrees. Like, I expect some guys to rest. I'm trying to figure out. Like, I mean, do you do you start Jalen Early and Julian Armella? Like, do you start Conrad Hussey? Like, I, I think that's the extent I'm trying to. Yeah, figure I, I don't know if you go that far. Um, it just depends on injuries. Because, like, if you have a guy semi banged up, rest him. So, like, maybe if the offensive line gets to the point where they're having to play Julian Armella and Jalen early, then yes. Like if, if there are guys that are legitimately banged up, like, because like, who do you put at center? If Murray Smith is still having issues with his back, Darius Washington is having issues with his ankle. Yeah. So like who, who else? Stickle. <laughs> That's what I'm saying though. Like you can't, you can't go that like deep down the depth chart in my opinion, but I do think then, you, then if you can't rest Murray Smith and you got, uh, uh, who's the 400 pounder defensive tackle? Like, I'm saying there's a certain level of calculus that's going on here, and I don't think yeah. you and I are going to have the right answers perfectly. But like, I think those are things that you're weighing because we're only three years removed with an entirely different roster. I know, but like, I learned to not take an FCS team lightly, lightly. Like, just assume it's to win. Like, you got to go through and do some some basic things to have a chance. Um, oh, for sure. To, yeah. to put yourself in the best position to to cruise. You don't want to be a game into the third quarter or something weird like that. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm not worried. I'm not worried. That's not me putting anxiety to have. I'm just saying, like, you're how low can you go with your rotation? Yeah, I don't. I'm not worried defensively. Like, I don't think there's any like major injuries there that are like super concerning. But I do think you try out some things rotationally with like Conrad Hussey, maybe some stuff on the 
interior of the defensive line, getting some of those. You know, and Daniel Lyons, maybe. Yeah, getting those guys more snaps and, and letting the vets rest a little bit that week. But, yeah, I mean, maybe the first quarter you just try and get out to a huge lead and then and then kind of rest the rest of the way. Um, you don't want to, like you said, you don't want to make it an unnecessary game like into the third or whatever. Like it's no need for that to happen. So try to find a balance between resting a, a good amount of guys but also not, you know, giving up your your edge to, to a horrible team. I found this like Miami game as we kind of – Turn the turn the page here. Uh, I found it, like an interesting one to talk about and to write about because the score was closer than the game was, uh, but you didn't blow them out either. Like in, in even the game itself, like while you controlled it, like never felt like oh you're about to to open it up in boat race. And I think that's what so many people wanted to like humble. I don't know if you noticed this at the end, the, the handshake between Mario Cristobal and, and Mike Norvell, very 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 short. Yeah. I uh, I don't think those two guys like each other. I, I don't think the two staffs care for each other a ton. Oh. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've told like before the game, I guess all the coaches like meet for a, you know, like they handshake and and they talk a little bit before the game. Um, mm-hmm. Apparently, Mario no showed it. <laughs> I don't I don't know if that's like a legit thing that everyone does. Um, but I was told that like this weekend, which was interesting because that. I'd never been, you know, that's never been brought up to me at any other point in the season. So it seemed like a pretty big deal. The fact that, yeah, who knows? I don't want to be sensational and like, we don't know. Maybe, dude, I just had to take a poop or something, you know? Um, but like the fact that it was observed and noticed, it meant that there's some level of tension, I think, from the coaching staff. So I think that's a fair, a fair assessment of it. Um, and I think part of it is like not super secret, like yeah, coaches by nature are often going to negatively recruit. They're going to do some salesman type of stuff. Like, I think that's just kind of like a good chunk of coaches that we have worked with in our time. Like you understand that's just part of the game. Uh, So this isn't me like putting someone on a pedestal and and trying to push someone else down. Uh, Some of the stuff that Miami did in the off season with like the narratives they push and the the extent they took negative recruiting. Remember we talked about it like when it was happening you know, you and Chris kind of pushed back and said, well, that probably happens at a lot of places that we don't get to see, but like seeing the coaching staff's reaction to it and seeing some of the like little subtleties that like Florida state did to combat it uh, with saying they don't develop people or whatever. uh, It, it bothered Florida state. I I think that's really reasonable to say at this point, we have enough documentation to know like that it, that it bothered them and and further, I think it bothered them because it just wasn't true. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Um, we don't have to rehash it, but yeah. No, no, but it's just more that there's a level of like vitriol between these yeah. two coaching staffs. And I think the fan base wanted a blowout for that reason. Like, I think they they felt it like you had a chance to really quiet Miami on the recruiting trail. And instead they're spinning this into a win. Yes. And I think you could sense that a little bit walking out of Doke. Like fans were excited. Don't get me wrong. They were very excited. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like the same feeling as – I guess walking out of camping world when they blew out LSU, right? Right. Um, where you knew that it was a, a dominant victory. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I it, like it, you know, all the all the spinning and all that kind of stuff um, really just comes down to coaching staffs on the recruiting trail. If you're if you're relating it to that, it's like what what can the coaching staff do uh, on both Miami and, and Florida State side? Um, coming off of this win or loss 
because, you know, for Miami, we've seen all the true freshman stuff that they've been pushing um, about how they, you know, they play true freshmen. Truly, like, I, I just really don't get that narrative because, like, you're bragging about playing true freshmen, but it, but it's a, it's a roster that's not in a good spot, and that's why you're having to play true freshmen. Um, it, it's a selling point. Yeah, like, absolutely. But but then it but then it becomes a like once you get all those guys in there, then you know those elite players that you're convincing to join you because of those you know that that pitch, they're eventually going to become vets, and then these true freshmen that you're trying to you know bring in are. It's a you know, Alabama usually can't say, "Hey, we play guys as true freshmen," because, you know, if if you're if you're good enough to play as a true freshman, you're either like insanely generational talent, or, you know, they're they're not in a good spot on their roster. So, it's just an interesting narrative. I I don't truly get like the whole like, you know, pushing it like in grand scheme of things, but to the extent of what it's, I, under, I understand that you got to get like any edge you can on the recruiting trail and. and and I do think, you know, coaching staffs across the country do that. So Mario's 11 and 11 as a head coach at Miami. Yeah. And he's been given, it wasn't an awful roster and he inherited. I know it wasn't a great one, but he, it's better inherited, than it's, he inherited a quarterback who had NFL, like first round draft pick buzz when, when they took him over. Yeah, the so. amount that they've allocated towards fixing the trenches, they were doing successfully. Like this isn't a pooping on Miami segment. Like they have, well, not fully, they have done good things and that the talent of that roster has been overturned quickly. They've allocated resources to it. And that coaching staff is very good at recruiting because they put so much effort and energy into it. But like the, the point that I'm trying to make is like the amount of the results haven't been great given what you've allocated towards it. I guess it's getting better. It's probably a top 30 program right now. A year ago it was like a top, 61 it was and it had some laughing stock moments like it was it was an average to below average power five one now you're above average so like it's getting better but there's been some really embarrassing moments and like the actual on-field results through two seasons not great they're average they're extremely average for a coach you're paying a lot of money for for roster you're paying a lot of money for for like all the resources you're dumping into it it hasn't been great so you're just trying to find like what your advantage is but i find interesting zach is like the the again the negative recruiting it happens it was just it was so blatant and you're telling recruits this cycle like hey they don't develop you they're going to recruit over you in the transfer portal what, what the hell do you think they're going to do at quarterback this offseason yeah they're not i was going to bring that up I, they're not in a good spot because you know every you know hopefully he recovers well and is able to go in the spring but i mean they're he's developmental he shouldn't be start he shouldn't have started yeah, exactly. this game that's it that, you want to make another point, like not putting your quarterbacks in great positions two years in a row. Two years in a row, they've done that now, where they yeah. haven't put like guys in great I positions. Came in injured in the FSU game, and they played him to try and have a chance, and he re-injured his shoulder. So, like, point being though, it's like it's not a it's not a depth chart at that position group, the most important position group on the roster. That's great. They're gonna have to go in the transfer portal and, and fix it. Then Absolutely. what? Yeah. <laughs> like, like these, it's a smart strategy. It's it's. You know, we're not we're not sitting here today with a ten and football team. If if Mike Norvell is solely trying to recruit, Mike Norvell players. may not be here if they didn't have the transfer pool. This like there are people on FSU staff that fully believe that you know they wouldn't have been able been given the time to you know reshape this roster if they did not do and hit right. as well on guys in the portal. Like, so 
there's going to be more recruiting battles between these two schools in the coming weeks. Yeah. Seasons, obviously. It's going to be interesting to see, grand scheme, like how you navigate it, right, and what your selling points are. Um, so, yeah, that, that's the FSU-Miami recap. I know we, we dug into minutia. We went big picture. We went into the rivalry on the recruiting trail. A little different than probably, like, where you're getting other places. Um, but, like, hopefully that was interesting. For you guys, uh, let's transition, Zach, now to talk about some recruiting stuff because uh, it was a really big weekend and there's a lot of a lot of, a lot of dudes showed up. So uh, please, uh, who's sponsoring our recruiting segment here? And then, uh, then we'll get into it. Yeah, the recruiting segment up on the bench is brought to you by football coach College Dynasty with a 95% positive rating on Steam. Football coach College Dynasty is the best college football management game for PC. You can buy it on Steam right now for $15. So the guy behind me in Doak on Saturday was like, hey, is that Blowstein? I'm like, yep. Um, and he's like, dude, you convinced me to get that that, uh, <laughs> that college football or football coach college dynasty game. I was like, no way. And then he's like, yeah, man, it's been having a blast because he was a, I guess, back in the day when he went to FSU, him and his his friends used to do like NCAA 14 tournaments at Bullwinkles. Oh, my God. That sounds so fun. Amazing. Um, and his friend was sitting right next to me. He's like, yeah, he won the tournament. I'm like, <laughs> so, yeah, he's been having a blast. Like I said before, like if you like that NCAA 14 game, this kind of scratches the same itch. Um, it has a ton of features. From that game and, and you know just kind of builds on it in every way possible and kind of modernizes uh, that game a ton with everything going on in college football now you know like the transfer portal nil official visits all that kind of stuff um it's it's an insanely insanely fun game football coach college dynasty available on steam for 15 dollars. you know what else is insanely fun FSU's recruiting weekend. It was it was a weekend. I would implore you to go over to Knowles247.com for all the coverage. We're going to give you more than the cliff notes, but the, I guess the headliners. And if you're a recruit, Nick, if you want to get into the weeds of FSU recruiting 2024, 2025, even 2026, like if you really want to know how this program is being shaped, Knowles247 is the industry leader for FSU football recruiting coverage. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Uh, but let's talk about the headliners. And there's not much of a better headliner, Zach, than one Jeremiah Smith. He is the number one player in the country in the cycle. Ohio State commit. Uh, good thing he didn't get to go see Ohio State play this weekend because Marvin Harrison had three touchdowns uh, in, in the first half and did Marvin Harrison things. Uh, but you get to host him. You keep chipping away at that one. And he made a pretty important statement, a declaration of fact that, that let's get into here. But I think that made my ears perk up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, he told North 24 7 after the game that Florida State is the program that he's going to visit last in his recruitment. He's going to take an official visit to FSU on the weekend of December 16th. So that's the weekend before signing day. And he told me that he does not plan to take any other visits from now until then. So no visits over the next two weeks of the regular you know, college football season because he says he's focused on a state playoff run. And then he doesn't have any other official visits set because if you remember, Florida State banked on him taking a late OV while all the other schools in his recruitment hosted him on official visits, I think all of them, on official visits in June. So FSU is going to have the last crack at trying to flip Jeremiah Smith from Ohio State. And I wrote about this in the Noel Smith for Seven War Room article that I posted this morning on, on the site. Definitely read that. We've got tons of people in there right now um, you know, reading all the, all the intel I dropped on a number of prospects. Um, but there really couldn't be much more going for FSU and Jeremiah Smith's recruitment. Um, he's been on campus multiple times in 2023 for multiple days at a time, um, for each trip. He was on campus for the game, obviously against Miami. And then he stays and, and spends time around the coaching staff on Sunday and actually attends, I think the practice, um, the afternoon practice that FSU holds on Sunday. And he's just, yeah, building that relationship with Mike Norvell who, who he absolutely loves as a head coach, and then Ron Dugans as the receiver coach, that you know, those two have grown, grown closer. Um, you know, FSU began to impress Jeremiah Smith with their 10 and 3 finish in 2022. And, you know, kind of Johnny Wilson breaking out that year showed that they can feature a big bodied receiver like Jeremiah Smith in, you know, their offense. They've done similar this year with, with the 10 and 0 start. We've got Keon Coleman rolling with 10 touchdowns and, and Johnny Wilson's doing Johnny Wilson things. Um, yeah, man. And then if things stand how he's saying right now, you know, with his visit plans, that would mean the last two visits of Jeremiah Smith's recruitment would go to Florida State. One being that's, a multi-day. That's script, right? Yeah. Like that's, that's yeah. what it needs to look like if you're going to flip them. Absolutely. Um, one, one being the multi-day unofficial for the Miami game. And then obviously an official visit would be an entire weekend in Tallahassee, just a few days before he puts pen to paper. So he said it on Sunday or on Saturday night that FSU was the school at the front of all the other programs trying to flip him. It's something we've been saying for a while. 
because that's what we had we had heard behind the scenes yeah. that FSU was the school with the best shot to flip him. And it's pretty easy to see why, right? Like Miami and Florida, the other two schools, they're both struggling some on the field. I mean, Florida's not doing too well than Miami, obviously. Yeah, they're, they're both 500 programs. Yeah, yeah. They, they, you know, both not giving him a reason to to flip from undefeated Ohio State. FSU is. Was they, it that, wasn't the Bayer Sinone we did back in like August was, I can't remember the exact prompt, but it was like Florida State giving him the, like if they won 10 games or 11 games. It was something like that. I'm sure one yeah. of our listeners will remember it. But like, ACC championship or something like that. Yeah. But that's what's happening. And yeah. that's what I'm saying. Everything is lining up. Um, it's just other than Ohio State, like stubbing their toe yes. would have been nice, but it hasn't happened. Well, they play Michigan soon. So we know Ryan Day's in, in for a, a usual Michigan performance for, for the Buckeyes. Um, he might not have to coach against a, another head coach on the other side. So Jim we'll Harbaugh was, was up at uh, the horseshoe with a with a like comically big mustache and extra brimmed glasses uh, watching on from from somewhere in the with binoculars in the in the 30th row. That would be a, a move for sure. Um, yeah, it's not a real thing. It's a joke. Jeremiah Smith would uh would be obviously a massive get for FSU. He's their top remaining target. He's the number one overall player in the country in 24. We'll see kind of how this thing unfolds. I think the biggest thing to watch is just does he take any more visits? Um, because the plan right now is to not take any mm-hmm. more trips. He does want to focus on a state championship run with Shaman Madonna. They're a school that heads to the state championship game nearly every year. I think they've won you know, three straight or something like that now. They're a dominant program, and he's definitely the the you know obviously the centerpiece of that that offense for them. And and he wants to focus on that. So I could see him uh, holding true to his word and, and not taking any more visits. But man, this is going to be a fun one to track down the stretch, and and it really does seem like Florida State has the ammunition here to close. Another development that like if you had to. If you had to drop what a what a flip looks like, even if you feel like it's unlikely, like the things that are coming into place are, are coming into place, and that is the development that you reported earlier last week, Zach, and that was that five-star defensive lineman and current Florida Gator commit, LJ McCray, would come to campus. He shows up on campus. He's with Zay Mincy, a priority defensive back recruit for Florida State. Uh, the big news there, dude. Go ahead and tell him like. Was, amount of time in Tallahassee yeah two days um I want to preface this though like we put up that report I believe it was on Thursday of him making it to campus on Saturday he texted me at midnight on Friday evening that he didn't think he was going to make it to the game on Saturday morning he called me and let me know that he was on his way with Zay Mincy so there was some back and forth there, but FSU gets it done. They get him on campus for the game. He then stays into Sunday to spend more time around Coach Mike Norvell and his his staff in Tallahassee. To me, like I view this as a tough flip, but like with the Jeremiah Smith situation, there are a lot of things lining up in FSU's favor. Florida is struggling mightily. On defense, you know, we talked about it. 700 plus yards, the most given up in program history this past week against LSU. Well, if you remember, LJ McCray watched Florida State beat down on LSU in the season opener um, in Orlando. He was out mm-hmm. that game. So, yeah, man, I mean, I think. And by it, the way, like Florida has, like, there are people defecting from that class. 
Yes, two it's people happening. over the weekend. Two people over the weekend flipped from Florida to uh, I think it was Auburn and Texas, and that actually allows FSU to move up to the number three recruiting class in the country. Jumps Florida, who moves to number four, and I think more could be on the way for Florida. I think Nasir I put in a Nasir Johnson uh, crystal ball flip pick this morning to Georgia. Really, you did? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. I, I think, think he's he's, I'm there. having fun at this point, but I think he'll. I I would. I think it's as likely that he goes to Georgia. It is yeah. And then they have another. They have another top 100 type defensive lineman. I think Amaris Williams, who's probably going to flip to Ohio State. I think, um, or some other school like Tennessee. But yeah, man, I, it's it's not looking good for their class. Their season's obviously not going well. Um, their defense is not playing great, and uh, I think that FSU. Like with Jeremiah Smith, kind of building some momentum here towards the the final stretch. Mm-hmm. I I do think FSU needs to get him back on campus in some capacity before he signs. Um, yeah, if, if feels, that happens, it's over. Like if you get him on campus, because he's gonna he's gonna see you in Gainesville in two weeks. If you show yeah. up well there, well, remember he already burned his OB, so it would have to be right. in an official capacity. That's why I'm saying it would be that yes. would be like put in yeah, the, I, put in the flip papers then at that point. Absolutely. So, but yeah, I do think that kind of needs to happen just because we're, we're, we're pretty, we're close to signing day, but we're, we're decently far removed to where you know, this, this visit's not going to have like a direct impact on his right. decision like that um, to where it's going to like, you know, change his mind. But yeah, man, I mean, I wouldn't predict a flip right now, but if the season continues to trend for Florida, like how it's been trending and, and FSU beats them in the swamp in two weeks, and LJ McCray's in attendance. And yeah, I, I, I do think this is a possible one. I, before the weekend, before we got new wind of him visiting, I did not think this was a recruitment Florida state was going to get back into it at the very least. And then, you know, flip him. Like I, I didn't think it was, it was possible, but after this trip, I do think that there is a, a slight chance that this happens. I would, like I said, I would not predict it to happen, but it, it's something to monitor. Um, over the next few months. All right, let's talk a little bit. Uh, we're already over an hour here, so we're going to have to probably move it along, speed it up a little bit. Uh, but there's still a few more 2024 prospects we want to talk about, Zach. Uh, five-star wide receiver, Cam Coleman, committed to Texas A&M. Probably not a whole lot longer. It didn't seem to be going that way anyways, or seemed to be going that way that he would not be committed to A&M for much longer. But uh, Jimbo Fisher getting fired, and who could have predicted that that would not have gone well. Actually, you know what? I thought for a little bit of time maybe it would go well. Jimbo seemed pretty dialed in, was was getting really good recruiting classes, but yeah. um, recruiting classes built on being the highest bidder usually are not like for everyone is usually not a, a good formula for long-term success or culture. I digress. Cam Coleman on campus, you're still fighting a battle against Auburn and others, but what was the intel there, Zach, on the five-star wide receiver from Eastern Alabama. Yeah, I think this is a FSU versus Auburn battle down the stretch. Um, I think it's likely he does not end up at AM bearing them like barring them hiring some coach that he's super familiar with or something like that. But no, nah, I mean I think FSU put put out a good performance and he, you know, talked afterwards and they told us that he's high on Florida State. He understands what they've done with Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson, two guys that have somewhat similar statures to him. He's six foot three, 180 pounds. 
and he's high on for like he's high on FSU. He likes the coaching staff. He likes Mike Norvell, Austin Tucker, who kind of helps FSU recruit Alabama, is heavily involved as well as Ron Dugans. Um, they they talk a good amount. Yeah, I, I mean the most uh, d- developmental thing that happened with his recruitment over the weekend was the. Uh, him saying that he could take an official visit to Florida State in December. It's not set, but he said that it's likely to happen. And I could see him taking one to Auburn as well. Auburn was a school that really I thought was going to land him um, over the summer. I think most people did. And then he just randomly commits to Texas AM on July 4th. Didn't have like a pre-planned commitment announcement. Just it was went, weird. He went on Instagram Live and just committed. So it caught everyone by surprise. But what didn't catch people by surprise is Jimbo Fisher not being able to maintain a good culture and losing that program and losing his job. So, um, but you know, Jimbo's still going to make a good amount of money. So, you know, good on Jimbo for, for negotiating that contract or Jimmy Sexton or whoever. Um, but that's an insane contract. Uh, but yeah, getting back to Cam Coleman, um, I think he's not going to end up at, at A&M and down the stretch. I think Florida State and Auburn are going to battle it out. He's from Alabama. Auburn was the perceived leader before he committed to AM. So I think they're going to be tough to beat. Mm-hmm. But FSU's going to keep trying here. And, and if they do host him for an OB, um, I mean, they're going to have a, a fair shot to, to sign him. Um, I do think. Has he taken an OV to, I forgot, did you say that already? Taken OV to Auburn? I could look. I don't know for sure. Um, he's so close to them that it doesn't, like, that's not. He did yes he did he did, he did on June, um, in June. He, so he's not taking one to Florida State which is that he again, did take all, an official to Florida State in June um which is like he he talked about he could have been somewhere that weekend for an OV mm-hmm. and instead he he unofficial to FSU so that and was he actually cool. worked out in the camp which I thought was yes. cool yeah he's a insanely good prospect number eight prospect overall in 2024 number three receiver in the country you know, obviously, out of the two, I think FSU would obviously prefer Jeremiah Smith, but uh, Cam Coleman's a nice backup option. We've um, talked about before. You you find room if you somehow get two. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, a hundred percent. If both wanted in, if both wanted in, you would absolutely take both. I don't see that happening. I, you know, obviously, it's gonna be tough to flip both prospects, but um, he's a guy definitely to keep an eye on for an official visit in December. Um, and then, you know, if that does happen, we can. We can monitor FSU status with him into signing day. Real quick, uh, let's talk about two potential flip candidates who are on campus. Uh, first is LSU cornerback commit Kai Bates from Orlando Edgewater High School. And then the next up is Wisconsin three-star safety slash corner. I think he's kind of malleable, but probably safety uh, commitment. Xavier Lucas from down in South Florida. We talked about both of them last week's pot a good amount, Zach. People should be familiar generally with their their background, but like Intel off the official or official unofficial visits for both, please. Yeah. Well, it was funny. Like, or I'll start with Kai Bates. Um, did not talk to him after the visit yet. I, I'll try to get up with him, but from what I'm hearing, like I think FSU is actually in a really good spot for him. But I don't know if they're going to push for a flip as of right now. And that's because they really, really like Xavier Lucas He's out of American Heritage High School, a program 
you know, that they're obviously super familiar with because DB coach Pastor Chen worked there. We've talked about this at length on the podcast, but I do think that Xavier Lucas is a prospect that FSU badly wants in this class. Like he's really emerged into their top remaining D tar- D- DB target. Um, you know, obviously they landed four-star DB Jamari Howard. I don't think we talked about this on the pod yet. That you know, on Friday they landed a top 100 prospect in Jamari Howard out of Miami Norland High School, and because of that you know they have pretty much one DB spot left, and I think that DB spot is most likely to be filled by Xavier Lucas, the Wisconsin commit, who was at Florida State over the weekend. He tried to like kind of sneak off in a golf cart after the game. I kind of spotted him out of the corner of my eye. I'm like, hey, can we, can we talk a little bit like just about the visit? He's like, sure. His Him and his mom were laughing because I think they, they were trying to you know, get get by, get out of there without talking to media. Um, but, yeah, I posted a full update with him on the site. He said it's likely he officially visits Florida State in December. Miami's another school that's trying to flip him. I don't – he said that he doesn't know if he's going to take an OV to Miami. He has visited there multiple times this season. But I do think FSU beating Miami in head-to-head fashion is a big deal for this recruitment specifically. I talked about this before the weekend, but I think Florida State sits in a really good spot here. I'm interested to see um, if we see him make any you know, change in decision relatively soon or if he kind of waits until closer to signing day to, to make a, a switch. Because I, I do not think he's going to end up in Wisconsin's class. I think it'll be one of Florida State, Miami, or Another school I heard was Louisville that might be involved. So um, just an important recruit down the stretch to watch uh, for FSU fans. Um, Mississippi State fired their head coach uh, this morning, last like 20 minutes. So uh, the rare game, Zach, where both head coaches are fired several days after. A&M and Mississippi State played each other. Correct. Yeah, that's that's Uh, a... It's a toughie. I'm I'm mining uh, the while you were talking the Mississippi State roster for potential uh, transfer portal prospects because that's just what I do these days. Uh, we'll have a lot of transfer portal coverage. I think starting this weekend, those twenty four seven, getting into that a little bit. I heard you're going to get people riled up. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, but yeah, I mean, the transfer portal opens in twenty twenty something days, and obviously, you have a week after this one, we'll have UF game and an ACC championship cup. So there's going to be a lot of stuff happening. Uh, so this is the week to kind of put our get our ducks in a row. Um, we're an um, hour and ten minutes into it, man. I know we're gonna talk about twenty five stuff. We want we to play some Arsenal. Yeah, you Knowles twenty four seven is so comprehensive the amount of coverage yeah, we have. I like, posted literally like every single bit of intel I got on every single like big time twenty five guy that was on campus over the weekend. So go to the Knowles twenty four seven War Room article. It's on the front page on Knowles twenty four seven dot com. That's where you'll find all the uh, the 2025 scoop on all those elite prospects that were on campus. Okay, let's do some buyers to know. Sponsored by the Turner Group. The Turner Group. Uh, Colin Turner, Amy Turner, Becky, uh, everyone at the Turner Group. It's not the it's not the largest like realty operation out there, but it is an extremely efficient one, and it's because Colin, Amy, and the rest of the crew there work uh, so diligently and are so well connected throughout the state of Florida that they are able to give you boutique experience uh, with uh, with big time results. So if you're thinking about entering the housing market, don't sit on entering it uh, because it seems daunting. No, go ahead and 
give them a try and they can put you at ease as much as one can for making such a big life decision. So the Turner Group is where we recommend you to go. They are a proud sponsor of Buy Orson Own. Uh, we got four or five ones real quick here, Zach, and we'll get out of here because I got to get going to a press conference. You got the, the data to keep cranking out more recruiting content. I will start with one myself, and then we'll we'll go and see what some of our, our listeners suggest over at Knowles 24-7. By Orsonone, Miami taking the moral victory for playing true freshman and holding injured Keon Coleman to 24 receiving yards and a touchdown is peak Miami. Bye. Yeah, it's a bye. It's a really, really, really deep cut that they're trying to spin stuff into when um, – and frankly, I'm disappointed with the Miami fan base. They didn't talk crap the entire week, and then they keep it close in a game that probably shouldn't have been that close based on how the game was played, and they are finding the weirdest things to flex on. It is just bizarre, and um, Gotham deserves a, a better class of villain. By or Sinone, this comes from Knowles, 1925. By or Sinone, being embarrassed about a seven-point win, seven point win excuse me, over Miami, Zach. Sinone. What's there to be embarrassed about? Yeah, that's uh, it, it wasn't, again, it's, not, it's not like you're playing a bad Miami team. This Miami team's like their defense is like close to you know one of the best, I think it's one of the best in the ACC, probably the second best or or the best. Um, like this is a this isn't you know a, a bad Miami team like you played last year that that basically quit in that game. This is a good team, they don't they're not getting blown out by anybody. Yeah, they've had some funny moments that, like, you as a Florida State fan base can say ha ha, but like they've played hard in every game, and that that is a sign of like that culture getting a little bit better. That they've played hard for that coaching staff. They haven't quit. Uh, there've been bizarre moments. Um, you can question game day decisions and and how well they're they're coached up, you know, during the week. But like, it's a talented team and it plays hard. No shame in only winning by seven. It's been a weird game to talk about because I feel like there there has been some frustration and angst among the fan base, but I think that might be more vocal minority than than actual reality. Like I said, like after the game, you know, there was some like more deep sigh of relief and, and wanting to have been a little bit better, but like it was you, know, you celebrate any when you get over a rival, no matter what, especially this season because because you had so much to play for and they didn't derail your year. Could you imagine Zach <laughs> if they had derailed it? Yeah, it would be like. The end of the world. It'd be awful. Mike Gravel talked about afterwards. Like this game matters for 365 days. Like it is something that you get to talk about if you win every single day from here on out. So yeah, there is no shame in a seven-point win. Cody 53, Byersonone. FSU will finish ahead of UF in the recruiting rankings this season. Well, Zach already mentioned it's happening right now. Um I'd buy that. Like you'd buy that it ends that way. I mean, they're gonna I think they're gonna lose like two more of their top probably five or six commits um, in this class. And yeah, I mean, if, they, if that happens, they're going to be like out of the top 10, I think someone calculated it. So I, I would buy that. Uh, what are they saying? What do the kids say? The games got played? Yes. By Orsonone. No, wait, this isn't a by Orsonone prom. This is from E.L. Holdem. And he just says, Becky! That's so un- understanding that what we're doing here. FSU, yes, yes, not Christy couldn't be here, but he did get a prompt in here. FSU lands two plus of the following, and he specifies that would be two at a minimum. So, again, someone who listens to us quite closely knows what bunch of idiots we are. Two plus of LJ McCray, Cam Coleman, Zay Mincy, and Jeremiah Smith. Cam Coleman. 
I'm synoning it to start off. Like, two plus. Yeah. At I, least two, two or more. I don't get one out of those guys. I, I don't see them getting Zay Mincy. I wouldn't predict them, like I said before, to get OJ McRae. I think the only guy I would really predict is Jeremiah Smith. Who's the big threat for Zay Mincy? He has a different recruitment. Is it Miami? Miami, Florida, Alabama. I think Alabama is a sneaky, like, like uh, interesting team. He has some like ties to that area. I think. Okay. Um, so, I I just have never really been bought into any FSU hype with him. He says that FSU is kind of the the school that his family likes a lot, but they've really never like throughout his entire recruitment never really been a, a huge factor. They've never been in that top group, and maybe things have changed. And I just I don't know about them yet, but. To me, like it, it would it would surprise me. Okay, um, that would be he's an he's he's a different recruitment. But like, yeah, man, if you get one of those, that's a win. Um, two would be just uh, you're talking about program multiple program altering players potentially. At least the upside yeah. for that. Um, Absolutely, all this is about. Finally, last one here, Zach Nolman. One two one four one two buyers to know. FSU can't take the next step until the trenches get fixed, or do we have people on staff capable of f- fixing the trenches? So first off, let's let's define the outline there. What, what does next step mean? Because the season's still ongoing. You're undefeated. Uh, you probably won't be favored in a playoff game. Doesn't mean you can't win it, but I don't think you'd, based on the teams that we think will be in there right now, if you're playing Georgia or Ohio State slash Michigan uh, in the first round, say like a two versus three matchup, uh, you'll probably be the underdog on that so like is that the so is that what is that what we're defining as parameter to take the next step is to be a a team that's favored to win the national championship maybe fair yeah i think so um because i think most florida state fans understand that fsu would probably not be competitive or they would be competitive they would not fix that fix that yeah Yeah, they would not be competitive in like a fourth quarter against georgia in my opinion I, well, that's no, I mean, no, I'm not going to let you like, I don't think it's likely that you beat Georgia. I think you can be competitive. But, but, I, but I, what I'm saying, you didn't let me finish competitive against Georgia in the fourth quarter in the trenches. Okay. Because Georgia can just rotate, rotate, five star, five star, five star on both lines of scrimmage. You're not there. You're not anywhere. Honestly, you're not kind of close to that. Like at this point, like really, realistically, there's not a single guy. I mean, besides maybe like Lucas Simmons and Jalen early and Julian Armella, like there, there are some blue chip guys, but like the D line room like that, you, you got to start flipping that into, you know, five-star high school prospects led by guys. You maybe get out of the portal this off season. What you have a differing opinion. Go. Um, I think just, I'm trying to add nuance to it because like the season's not done. So it's a hard thing for me to say like, Oh, we don't know, but like defensive tackles, I think you do have, especially if Daryl Jackson comes back. Well, when he comes back, because he will be available for a postseason game. Yeah, I think their D-tackle like stuff has been fine. Like, it, Yeah, that, that's yeah. championship caliber, the defensive tackle. Yes, yeah. the edge is not. The edge, the is, edge is not, and I agree with you there. And the offensive line, you know, the depth has allowed you to get to 10-0 and 0 with almost – like who's not hurt to some pretty noticeable extent or another on that offensive line right now? Pretty much everyone, I think. There yeah, is. Yeah, like that's college yeah. football. You're ten games into a season, but like, is it a championship offensive line? I don't think so. Like, they all get healthy in the next month, and you're able to get to that point. You win these next three games. I don't think so. So, so I, I mean, 
just for context, like I'm synoning that FSU can't FSU needs to get better in the trenches to take the next step. Yes. Like, and it's a very minute, like the next step is not, you're not far away from it, but these are big significant steps to take. Do they have the people on staff to do it? The offensive line recruiting this cycle is not overwhelming, right? Like it's not elite. Um, Alex has done a really nice job in fixing this offensive line group. Uh, The defensive line recruiting has not been elite. We've talked about that. Yet here you are, 10-0 with the chance to be competitive in national championship games. So I don't think you're super far off either. I think you can get it done with the group that's intact. It's just you you now have a new set of expectations, and um, and that can then help you somewhat on the recruiting trail get to that place. Yeah, I agree with that. It, it's just interesting because, like, it, it depends on what, what you're talking about. If you're talking about, like, being able to – realistically think you can win a national championship then i think you're a little bit farther off than maybe like i think there's a pretty big decently big gap there between making it to the playoff and winning a natty um obviously things luck can go your way in certain instances in those types of games but on a consistent level i mean if you just it's pretty like easy to tell just look at fsc's backup defensive ends like they're both those guys are not like blue chip players. Like Gilbert Edmund was a blue chip guy out of the portal, but I don't think he's shown anything this year to make you think that he's like going to be some all ECC player or something next year. Like they absolutely need to to beef up the, that line. And if you look at Michigan's D line, if you look at Ohio State's D line, if you look at Georgia's, especially, I mean, it's just they're three deep with blue chip to five star like prospects of guys that are just absolute difference makers or are going to be difference makers once they develop. Like, I, I don't know if I can say that about FSU's even like the young players in that room. So that's why it makes me think that they might be a little farther off than you're saying, just because I think once you lose verse, like you're really going to have to to land an elite level edge out of either the portal or, or high school and you're going to have to develop them. And and I don't know if they have one of those guys on their roster right now or committed to them. And you need to. Like, Blunt is an edge technically, um, but he's reclassifying up a year and a half. So I don't think you should be anticipating that he's going to help you in year one. That would be, that'd be icing on the cake. That'd be great. Um, 100%, but it's not something. Um, you, you know, a Miami uh, that's getting cut and sent for Miami coaches somewhere now that you just said that. We'll play him 400 snaps in five lost seasons. We don't give a shit. Yeah. I want to play winning football. Yeah. And for like, there's just so much context it's needed because like the simple answer is like, no, they're not there to where you can say they're going to, to be favored to win a national championship right now. This is also year four under Mike Norvell with that first year, like first two years recruiting wise. I mean, just Georgia has Kirby smart and, and established. Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, like established. Ryan Day was a coordinator at Ohio State. I think this is year five for him. But like, regardless, he was in that program and that program was established. So like, it just, we're judging it in different stages right now. And I do this on the board. Like I caution FSU fans to be like comparing yourself directly to those schools because like, you're not there yet. And that's okay. That's not about, you're working to, to get there. I think that's the ultimate goal for you. And like, 
it it's just it needs to what are you laughing at what's happened i saw nothing i was i scrolled twitter for a second because people were talking about your crystal ball oh this is a troll it was a troll obviously but they're saying that miami's gonna hold like a parade or whatever for the, for the seven point loss in coral gables so i thought that was funny <laughs> oh god i love recruiting um yeah, I mean, I, I just yes, I, I, it needs to get better. I think it, it. I think there's reason to believe it will get better, especially with the season you're having. Um, and it's a it's a position that takes years to fortify. To your point, Zach. So I think yeah. we're seeing kind of similar things. You might be. We are. I, yeah. I I might be a, a little bit more optimistic than you, but I don't think we're far off. And like what we're viewing is like, is, is there infrastructure for it to get to that point? Yes. Is there reason to believe it could get to that point? Yes. Is it there think- yet? No. Do you think they need to make staff changes? <laughs> um, not necessarily. Not necessarily. I mean, I think, listen, man, people ask about it all the time. I think they're going to make, like, I think staff changes are going to occur organically this offseason based yeah. on the year. People are going to get hired elsewhere because of their performance yes. here. So, uh, yeah. And it's just funny. It's like you have some people trying to push and run out guys who are going to get hired to be head coaches elsewhere or move up the ladder, like, in the industry to other places based on how they've performed this season. Yeah. It's just, it, it humors me. Um, has the FSU maximized its defense line recruiting this cycle? No. And you've talked about that in depth and very eloquently, Zach, in, in my opinion, fairly. Are they also like close? If they get one, like if they do one more cool thing on this, you know, in this recruiting class and they get a four-star defense alignment or five-star one, it's like, is it adequate? Is it good enough to start building some of that depth? Yeah. Then you got to do it again and again and again. So like we're talking about a, a a process that like multiple years and your the level you're recruiting at now is the level you need to be recruiting at over a period of time to be legitimately considered like the power. And I think you can get there. I do. I'm not saying that you do. I'm not saying that you don't. I'm saying that it, the infrastructure, the stuff's in place based on how you perform and the head coach you have now. Yeah, I I agree. I agree with that. Also, let's get out of here with this. Texas A&M, Carter, whoever's reporting over there, Pete Thamel, stay away from Mike Norvell. Folks, we got issues. You wouldn't want to do it again, right? Bring the Florida State coach over there. Look yeah, that worked out so well for you guys last time. Don't you dare. Don't you. Don't you dare. Oh. Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus.